Hello. Hello. I'm Zach. And I'm Imari. And, and we, we are, are free, free to, to be. be. Free to Be is a podcast for LGBTQ plus youth across the state of New York. We talk about all sorts of things that affect queer youth in the Empire State. Brought to you by Youth Power of Families Together in New York State. Youth Power is a network hosted by Families Together that is run for and by youth and young adults. We work to ensure young people have meaningful involvement in all levels of the services they receive. The opinions and viewpoints shared by staff and guests on this show do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Families Together in New York State. To learn more about us and our advocacy, visit ftnys.org. Thanks. And enjoy. I am the Zach Me. Oh, wow. This is We're getting off to a strong start. I think we'll just leave this in. Uh, my name is Zach Kilmer. And I am the Public Policy Coordinator at Families Together in New York State. And I'm Imari Wilson. I'm the Hudson River Regional Youth Partner for Youth Power Families Together in New York State. And welcome to Free to Be, the first episode of Families Together in New York State's first ever podcast. We're uh, really excited to be uh, talking to you guys. Yeah, and we'll mainly be covering topics that affect like our population so like the lgbtq anything around there anything about young people and cross systems and how it all affects us in one way or another somehow some way we'll speak about it it's a kind of a very broad topic area but yeah anything Mm -hmm. that relates to queer youth all across new york state um, I know when people yeah. hear, I want to make sure I say New York State, because a lot of people, when they hear the word just New York, they just assume, you know, the city. The city. And that is not true. Families, well, it is actually a very large, very diverse state. Um, it's always funny when, like, you talk to, like, out-of-staters and you say, oh, I, I'm from New York. It's like, oh, the city. Like, no, somewhere in, like, the 200-some-odd-square-mile area that's up, above. I'm actually probably severely undershooting that, but... Um, it's like the like sixth or seventh biggest state in the country i think or something just in terms of like land mass and population Mm -hmm. probably oh yeah population definitely i know like yeah being in college that was a thing i had to like change how i said was oh yeah i'm not from new york as in the city but i'm from upstate new york i'm from the capital of new york and they're like wait so new york city like no albany (laughs) and then they're usually the next question is what is an albany (laughs) albany georgia (laughs) there's an albany georgia actually i didn't know that yes i think there's actually an albany in most states or i'm thinking of the town that's in the simpsons that's springfield yeah springfield is yeah is springfield is in multiple states i think in most every state well yeah i think that's the reason they chose springfield if i recall correctly like i remember reading yeah. about the creation of the simpsons and like springfield is like the most commonly named town slash city in america there's like 17 springfields across like 10 states so they just like went with that because it could be anywhere okay apparently yeah. this is now a simpsons podcast <laughs> we, it took us less than five minutes to completely transition into topics perfect <laughs> Seamless. So yeah, a few housekeeping things we wanted to go over. So we actually, me and Amari, have been working on this idea for a long time, and it was actually way before the coronavirus pandemic. 
started. It just is actually kind of coincidentally good time. Well, I'm not going to call it good timing because everything about coronavirus sucks. Actually, everything about it. But doing an audio show like this kind of lends itself to the situation we're all in because we're all stuck at home to varying degrees. I mean, some states are beginning to reopen a bit in New York specifically. We're kind of going about it pretty slowly, New York City especially. Um, we're only in like, I think we're still, we might have started phase two, like, or might, we might be starting phase two next week. I think you got, but like you, and you're from the Hudson River region and you guys have already started phase two, I want to say. We started phase two, I'm going to say maybe three weeks ago. And I read a headline, which is the most accurate way to read news. That is not true. Um, <laughs> that says that we are going into phase three tomorrow. I didn't get to read the article, but. Um, oh, that's like yeah, restaurants and stuff, isn't it? Yeah, like a lot of restaurants and uh, yeah, a lot of restaurants that have patio space have already opened um, and some that don't have patio space have petitioned with other restaurants in the area to close down the street so that they can make street patio space. Ooh, um, I like that idea. Yeah, so like tables are spaced specifically six feet or more apart and you have to some places you have to reserve a table to be seated there you can't just show up and it's no more than four people sometimes uh so i i there are things being done to try and keep a socially distance consumer driven society <laughs> but um <laughs> that was a very diplomatic also, way to put that you know i i thought long and hard about that you know <laughs> I, I, I it, it took a while <laughs> Because, you know, that was a hard one. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, it seems like we're starting to get maybe some semblance of normalcy back. I don't think we're ever going to be, like, normal, quote-unquote, again. I, I Honestly, I feel like history almost is going to be defined in, like, a pre- and post-COVID era. But I think we're starting to get back to the point where some of us are going to be able to do some of the activities we did before and start to feel a, a, a little a little normal. So yeah, but back to my original point, this is all to say that we meant to do this, we obviously are timing it for Pride Month, and we're going to talk about Pride, both the history of the Pride movement during this episode and the entire concept, what it means personally to us, and um, the the history and how it specifically started here in New York State and New York City. But um, obviously this is one of the not lesser important things, but I was very disappointed that I didn't get to go to Pride this year. Um, mm -hmm. for uh, the benefit of uh, our, our listeners, I used to live in Albany, uh, an area where Amari lives. And I recently, in the recent past, like last August, moved to New York City. And I have never been, I've been to Pride. I've not been to New York City Pride, which is the OG, like, mother of all parties Pride. And I was really, really excited to go to that. And then, um, well, the, the world kind of ended for a hot minute there. So I was like, well, that's not happening anymore. Uh, so I have my fingers crossed for next year. But I'm, I'm happy we can do this as kind of a, I'm not going to say substitution, but maybe something to do in, in lieu of to honor our, our pride roots, so to speak, um, since we can't do it in person this year for the first time in almost 50 years. Yeah, not being able to go to pride is super sad to me, but... I'm seeing, like, different things popping up locally that are, like, Digipride, which just makes me think of Digimon, but that's not, <laughs> it's neither here nor there. 
But yeah, it's like digital prom, uh, pride, not prom, um, small gathering, dinner, pro- pride parties. Um, and I'm like, oh, that's cute. But like globally, it's so big. And I just miss that. It's, I miss the thought of that. It's it's not the same, but it there are things we can do while being socially distant and safe to still yeah. honor our roots and, and pride. And yeah, and we're, we're, we're all doing the best we can during this situation. And I have, I, I, I'm pretty confident that we'll be able to do something resembling full pride next year. So we'll, we'll have to wait a bit, but it'll, it'll mm-hmm. happen, I think. So uh, with that, we're going to get to our main subject for, for the first half of this episode, which is the history of the pride movement in the USA in general, but also specifically in New York. Because, well not coincidentally, uh, serendipitously I'll say, uh, the pride movement started, well the pride movement as we know it started in New York City um, by a group of people, you know, let's, let, okay, let's backtrack a little. We'll start from the beginning. So, and we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but I'm going to, I have a sheet of a whole bunch of facts gathered from a whole bunch of sources. Um, I'm going to cite some of them off and me and Mari are going to discuss some of it. So some things I want to say first though, huge content warning, trigger warning, however you want to phrase it, homophobia, transphobia, probably some, a dash of racism, like all the phobias, all, the, all those, all those bad things that Honestly, we're experiencing a lot of right now, side note, but all of those things we're going to be discussing kind of in detail because unfortunately you can't really talk about LGBT history without talking about the bad stuff that happened to a lot of our predecessors in the movement, which is unfortunate, but I think it's really, really important to uh, talk about because there's a lot of, like I know a lot of this stuff I didn't know before I even did the research for this and a lot of it I didn't know up until a few years ago. So there's a lot of LGBT people who don't necessarily know all of our history, which that's okay. Um, I mean, we're, we're all learning every day and we're all learning new details every day. So yeah, content warning for that. If that's gonna, if that's not something you can get through or if you get to something you're like, eh, I'm not really sure if I can handle this, me and Amari, we're not going to be offended. Um, if, you need, <laughs> if you need to just kind of skip that portion, trust me, I get it. There's, there's some days where I can't really handle some of this stuff, so... I, I totally understand. Also, I am not a historian. I am kind of a big history nerd. I really like history. Like that was kind of just like my jam in high school and college. But I am not a professional historian. I did this research on the internet. I did my best to be factual. I did my best to be accurate. But I am probably going to mess some stuff up. Um, and I apologize for that in advance. And if there are any um, things that need correcting feel free to email us we mentioned it uh in the middle of the episode during the break but my email is zkilmer at ftnys.org um if i if there's anything you want to ask about this about what we're talking about or if i made any mistakes that you feel like really need correcting we might be able to talk about it next episode um that was a really long-winded way of saying i might i might get some things wrong and i apologize in advance and i'll do my best not to do yeah, we're human, and we are, like you said, Zach, um, that, like, I know I didn't have as much knowledge about the history of LGBTQ people as much as I do now, than five years ago, than ten years ago, than when I was still in high school. That was within that time frame, but whatever. We are ever-growing, changing, learning beings, so um, 
this is a space to allow for that growth and allow for some of that education to happen um, so we can educate ourselves and find more things that we can learn about. For sure. For sure. Um, and I think a large part of that too, which is an entire separate conversation, is that not enough of this is taught in like high school. Because mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of like civil rights history in general that's like, like if I recall correctly, LGBTQ history was maybe, maybe a paragraph in like my standard high school history textbook mm. at best. And some places I probably don't honestly, even have that. Yeah, I don't even remember it being there. Maybe a sentence, maybe a paragraph is a little bit uh, too, like, too generous. <laughs> Yeah, just maybe like any uh, laws that were changed was like an, a footnote at the bottom of the textbook. So, focusing strictly on America, pre-1960s, I'm going to... And honestly, the history of LGBTQ pride and just LGBTQ people in general pre-1960s is actually very interesting. And I think we'd like to maybe come back to that at some point and do an episode about that if it uh, if it fits with something. But... This this episode is only an hour to an hour and a half long, and we we don't want to do like an NPR style mega series <laughs> on our first get go. So we're going to yeah. need a lot. So pre nineteen sixties, LGBTQ plus people were not treated well at all, and it varies depending on what period of history you're talking about. But the nineteen fifties specifically, so late nineteen forties, nineteen fifties was kind of a specifically pretty not great time for LGBTQ people. Um, this was during the Red Scare, which was, well, there were multiple Red Scares in American history, but this particular Red Scare, uh, it's post-World War II. The new big bad is Russia and the communists, and the communists are super bad, and we are very afraid of them. And LGBTQ people, large of the time, were lumped in with uh, communists, like, at quote-unquote agitators, civil rights activists, and basically kind of in the large category of not normal read not straight white nuclear family more or less mm-hmm. and this was largely due to just yeah fear of not being in conformity right like it this was a time where cultural conformity was required just socially oftentimes legally it was a very scary time not to be like kind of the default quote unquote so yeah this is where the 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 period of pride kind of launched out because after this, after kind of, I would say extreme pressure to be normal, a lot of people were like, "Mm, that's not really my jam. I don't really want to be uh, your standard of normal, whatever that means. So the Stonewall, the Stonewall riots, which we'll definitely get to in a bit and probably what most people know of, um, if they know anything at all as like the pride movement, that was the major catalyst, but it was actually not like, there was a few precursors to that, which I found really interesting because I didn't personally know as much about them. Uh, the Daughters of Bilitis and the Mattachine Society. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Um, that's 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 my best shot. I'm going to commit to it. I'm sure someone will email me and tell me I'm pronouncing it wrong. But uh, hmm. uh, So they were two LGBT organizations that they coordinated some of the earliest demonstrations of LGBTQ rights and LGBTQ pride in America. Um, And this was the early 60s is when this started to begin. They carried out, quote, annual reminders, which were pickets and marches kind of in the similar vein of um, like Martin Luther King style uh, demonstrations, uh, very nonviolent, very peaceful. Um, And they were designed to inform and remind Americans that LGBT people did not have civil rights protections at all. And a lot of these occurred from 1965 to 1969. 
The uh, gay is good slogan was commonly used during these, and that was inspired by Stokely Carmichael's Black is Beautiful, which I thought. There's a lot of um, correlations and, like, synergy between the, uh, the the black and POC civil rights movement and the LGBTQ movement. I mean, they both, like, obviously it's talking about very widely different things, but kind of in terms of just, like, strategies, goals, like, similar struggles that they faced, a lot of it was kind of similar and uh, a lot of these early lgbtq activists took a lot of inspirations from mlk uh, uh, martin luther king malcolm x mm-hmm. all those uh all, the, all those fine people they also did sip-ins and this is something i didn't know then um inspired by sit-ins which in turn were inspired by gandhi and martin luther king like i said um they these people they went into basically a bar a tavern they openly declared their sexuality, and they were basically came and was like, "Hi, I'm gay, and I would like a drink." Now, back then, it was more or less legal to be like, "Well, if you're gay, then we're not going to serve you." Um, that's what a lot of the bartenders and tavern keepers did, and then they were like, "Fine, well, we're not leaving until we get served." It's the mm-hmm. very com- uh, common, stra- not common strategy, uh, a common strategy during the civil rights movement. I'll say to do these kind of sit-ins and basically not non-violent, non-interruptive, well, kind of interruptive, but non-violent approaches of we're not going to do anything destructive, but we're not leaving until you treat us equally. They applied that same that same kind of logic, and this also happened in the East Village too. So this was the pre in Manhattan. Um, that's a that's a neighborhood of Manhattan for those not in the know for New York City specific geography. So, and this was actually, like I said, pre-Stonewall. So a lot of this was kind of the precursor and kind of gear up into um, the the Stonewall riots, which, uh, again, I did not know nearly as much about. Um, A lot of people don't know about these sip-ins and uh, these demonstrations at at all, which, like, (laughs) including me, who is a self-declared history buff and also happens to be LGBTQ. So I, yeah. I find that really interesting that, like, even the people who do know a lot about this stuff, a lot of them don't even know about the Daughters of Biltus and the Magic Society. I actually didn't know about that at all. Like, um, that's new news to me. I know when I think about, like, thinking, when I think about thinking about the history, <laughs> uh, like, LGBTQ We're getting history, meta already, okay. Meta, meta. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, when I when I think about, like, thinking about that history it the thought usually starts at stonewall um i think because there are so many unknowns for hit for me in its history automatically my my thoughts gravitate towards that time frame and then move more current or i go like super ancient knowledge um of all areas of land and like don't really think about that in between um, so that's interesting and news to me. Cool. Yeah, and like LGBT history literally goes back to like ancient history. We're talking like caveman times, like Mesopotamia, mm-hmm. Egypt, all of which I would love to talk about at some point. But like I said, for this, we only have a limited amount of time. But yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that happens in between that is not as commonly known, even by members of yeah. the community. Um, and I found that really cool. 
And also the reason, I would say it's definitely not a problem to not know that because history is defined by major events, right? Like when we think about history, we think about very specific points in time. Like the, like, okay, let's use the example of the March on Washington by the, by um, civil rights activists and Martin Luther King Jr. Like you, most people mainly know about that, but there were obviously a lot of smaller demonstrations and a lot of other cultural and societal pressures that built up to that. But that was kind of like the main like catalyst. And that's how I frame stonewall um mm-hmm. you could also probably compare it to like world war one like most people know or at least anyone who's familiar with history know that like the assassination of archduke ferdinand was the thing that kind of kicked off world war one it was like the spark that lit the whole powder keg but the powder keg was there was already a lot of building like political cultural stuff underneath all that in europe at the time that kind of led to world that was just the thing that kind of had it all come toppling down and that's kind of in the same context that i view stonewall so it's okay to like primarily only know stonewall but there was a lot of stuff that kind of like built the foundation and led to stonewall um yeah and i think that's uh, also really really good to know about if you can yeah totally i mean you a little bit lost me there with the archduke but you know you got me back <laughs> um, as a precursor to this podcast, you need to intimately know the history of World War One. Otherwise, you won't understand anything I say from now on. You have to take at least the precursor is at least one history, global history, three hundred level course. Yeah, like if you don't have like half of a bachelor's degree in history, like why are you even here? I mean, honestly. <laughs> um, that, that's, All jokes. Uh, just, uh, yes, those those are jokes. You don't actually need. It might help, um, and honestly, if I get too jargony, um, Amari will probably check me anyway for his and everyone else's benefit, because I, if you let me talk too long, I will go on a tangent, and eventually no one will know what I'm talking about. So all of that was kind of the precursor to Stonewall, so I'm kind of defining this period in history in the 60s as pre-Stonewall, during Stonewall, and after Stonewall. So that was pre-Stonewall, so we'll talk about Stonewall. Stonewall Inn. It was a gay bar in Greenwich Village in Manhattan. Um, the inn had actually been around since the 1930s. It was made post-temperance um, and prohibition when people could legally drink alcohol again. Um, but in 1966, and I'm very excited to talk about this because this is something I did not know, it was actually purchased by the Italian mafia, specifically the Genovese, Genovese crime family. And they're the ones who actually turned it into the gay bar in the hopes of turning a profit. Basically, they saw the LGBT population as, like, an underserved group of individuals who they could probably make a decent chunk of change off. And, mm-hmm. as I mean, that motivation's kind of not great, but it did result in one of the most famous and, like, in a lot of cases, the only places that a lot of LGBT people in New York at the time could go. So, not the greatest motivation, not the greatest people who started it, but it's it had an overall positive effect, I'd say. So they, they made profit off of LGBT people who basically had nowhere to go. And they also had a habit of blackmailing high-profile, closeted individuals. Like, there would be very influential people in, like, local and, like, bigger, like, maybe even state or national politics that would attend there. And the mafia family would basically be like, hmm, well, you don't want everyone to know you're gay, do you? Well, you, you better uh, do some favors for us. So they basically used it as a blackmail venue in part which again not a giant fan of but you know it it's what had to happen i guess in order to get any kind of remotely safe space for lgbt people back then so 
they, they, they basically did what they had to do. And how this actually specifically worked out really great for LGBT people is that the mafia, obviously, they were very good at paying off the police. It's like one of their main things. So what would happen is uh, a lot of the other gay bars in the area or any like gay spaces would get raided by the cops and like people would be arrested, harassed violently or otherwise. And the mafia... Basically, what they did was the cops would continue to do raids on Stonewall, but it would be, like, raids in quotation marks. And they would come, like, do do the whole song and dance, like, oh, you can't do this. But then they'd hand them some money on the table, and they would mostly get left alone. So Stonewall, basically by the virtue of the mafia paying off the cops, became one of the safest places in all of New York, arguably in America, for LGBT people at the time. Right. It was the only place where they could like be themselves um, authentically, like especially like uh, trans people and drag queens because they, like even in other gay spaces, like that wasn't allowed. Like no, you had like that's like going too far or whatever. Like Stonewall was the only place a lot of people um, who were gender nonconforming in general could be their authentic selves because mm-hmm. <laughs> the mafia paid off the police. <laughs> that is just such a. Uh, it's such an amusing sentence to me. Um, yes. Drag queens could be themselves because the mafia paid off the police is just such a darkly humorous line of technically accurate history to me. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what I think. And I think about how that translates into things happening today or or like in recent national political uh, news and how... How that has been a sustained way of, of keeping LGBTQ people, queer people, um, GNC people, trans people safe is always kind of been money. Jeez. Well, I mean, without going off on in, another in, tangent, in, yeah. like in, in the in a materialistic, highly capitalistic society, that's you kind of have to play the game sometimes or you don't get mm-hmm. to play. So if right. you want certain goals, if money goes in certain po- pockets, you can achieve those goals. And unfortunately, that's how a lot of LGBT people manage to be themselves is because money exchanged hands between some very corrupt people. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, we, we, we got there. And the fact that this mm-hmm. space existed at all at the time in the 60s when lgbtq plus people were just not accepted in basically any capacity anywhere else in society it it allowed for something which Mm -hmm. is technically a form of progress so stonewall stonewall in everyone's hanging out there everyone's having a having a good time Uh, there's a bunch of regulars uh honestly a lot of the time it's uh, lgbtq people they literally a lot of them considered it their home literally not just metaphorically because which is probably a subject we'll get into on another episode. Lots and lots of LGBTQ people throughout history and today are homeless because of basically familial neglect because of their orientation, gender identity, all that stuff. So a lot of people, like especially like during the winter I was reading, they would hang out at Stonewall all day because they could pay $3 and it would be a place to shelter themselves from the cold while it was open, mm-hmm. which is... Right really sad but it's really illustrative of how like that was their genuine sense of community that they managed to find Mm -hmm. so june 28th uh late night i didn't write down the year but it was the late 1960s 
Um, it was out of the year. Oh, thank God. I, it was I forgot to write it down. Is it 27th? I could have it wrong. I have the night of the 27th um, of 1969. 1969. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. If I had to guess, it's probably the night of the June 27th going into 28th because yeah. everything we're about to talk about lasted well into 2, 3, 4 a.m. Um, yes. So, June 28th, 27th, 1969. Uh, the police did one of their routine raids, which, again, to reiterate, usually they were kind of light and gentle and just kind of did it for the show of it. Um, it didn't really bother people too much um, because they were being paid off. I want to object there, though. How do you mean? Because, like, um, a riot is, like, like a raid is a raid. So even if, uh, like, and that's true till today, even if there are corrupt p- police officers, to be specific, who are raiding places that they benefit from personally, they're still going to make it look real. And there's still an element of prejudice that can be um, present in those spaces. So, like, I, I don't want us to make light of, like, the raids being, you know, lighthearted or, um, like, not harmful to the people who were there. Because even though they were getting paid for it, I'm sure that, like, it was warranted for... Uh, the LGBT community to react in the way that they did for the harm, the mistreatment, the name calling that could be worse. Yeah. If they weren't getting paid, but was still happening. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess I didn't mean to portray it like that way. I probably should have had better word choice there. I guess the better way to phrase it would be the police getting paid by the mafia was kind of a way to lighten it, but it was still, it was still severe, but it allowed Stonewall to kind of stay afloat in a different way that the other establishments couldn't as much is that a more fair way to put it i mean i feel like the real way to put it is like the cops unfairly raided this place that they were benefiting from well because of like the refuge lgbt people got from this crime mob yeah and i mean that can be clearly displayed by what's about to happen on this specific date um clearly it wasn't a sustainable solution it was kind of a very loose very ineffective band-aid um yeah so the police uh, did one of their routine raids, but were, for whatever reason, there's mixed accounts here, but they were evidently particularly rough and particularly violent, particularly unfair that night. They arrested 13 pe- people. And what would usually happen is the police would get there. The people at Stonewall would actually like flicker the lights, which was a signal for everyone to like get out of Dodge and disperse. Um, this night, though, because of how they were treated, a lot of people didn't disperse. And they were basically like enough is enough and they were just hanging out outside of the bar and like not dispersing and like growing into a group. A policeman attempted to put a woman in a police car and he injured her in the process, like I think banging her head uh, on the side of the door. From most accounts that I could see, that was the main inciting incident where patrons of the bar started to throw stuff at the corrupt cops. Eventually this escalated into a full riot breaking out. The police barricaded themselves inside the bar after being unable to contain them. Like, this group was so big and so angry that the few police officers that were there did not have the ability to, like, stop them via force. So they went into Stonewall and barricaded themselves. So then the mob tried to set the bar on fire, which I don't mean to make light of, but that's just, it's a very, it's a, it's very much, uh, 
justified, but very like, I don't even know like the words to describe that. It's it's difficult for me because it's like this is the bar that you declare that you're, like you find a sense of home more so than like anywhere else. And these cops were so mistreated these people so badly to the point where that they lit their own home on fire because that's how mm-hmm. angry you made them. Like that mm-hmm. that's just such a unreal not unreal that's not the right word like such a level of passion and like justifiable anger that it's kind of kind of awe-inspiring me i think that's why i'm finding the difficulty finding the words to describe it Mm -hmm. I, i don't i don't know i just feel like it's i don't know especially with what's happening now literally in the world and society it's just like so such a feeling of being fed up that's the only thing that i could think would allow like those actions to happen and like you said like a build-up of things have to predate this this catalytic event um to to make that the the ultimate reaction Um, yeah and honestly again we did not intend this at all because we can't see the future um we've been planning this podcast for a long time but there are like and we're not the first ones to make commentary on this either but there are definitely a lot of parallels between stonewall and like how the pride movement started and what's happening right now in terms of like black lives matter and like the incident with george floyd don't want to go down that rabbit hole for this episode but mm-hmm. again we're not the first ones and there's definitely you're, you're not off base and that there's a lot of parallels between that situation there and just in terms of justifiable anger and reaching a point where what well like what's another option besides something like that you've given these people who uh, like yeah there's no there's a lot of times there is no other option besides something like that right right so they did the routine raids uh this full riot broke out they lit on fire uh the riot squad after the bar was lit on fire uh eventually got the crowd to disperse and then the firemen came to put it out so I guess back it would be the equivalent of almost like a SWAT team, like anti-riot police. Uh, they managed to get the crowd to disperse, and they rescued the corrupt and violent cops that were inside. No one got hurt. But these riots lasted and spread throughout the entirety of Greenwich Village for the rest of the night and also five more days. Like, this didn't stop that night. Like, there was unrest throughout the entire village from LGBT people for mm-hmm. four days afterwards. There were a lot of, and if you're listening, I encourage you to do your own research on this. Unfortunately, we can't name like every person who was there, just we don't have the time. But often, a woman often considered to be the mother of Pride, Marsha P. Johnson. She was a trans woman who was considered to be the first person to throw a brick at the police. There's actually mixed accounts on this. Like Marsha herself said that, um, I remember reading some quotes that, she couldn't she couldn't remember exactly who threw for the first one i don't think it tech like really matters symbolically she's considered oftentimes to be like the mother of this movement and like the person mm-hmm. who threw the first brick if not maybe literally metaphorically and she... L- like stonewall is literally considered the um one event that shaped and created the in the events to follow like the re- the protesting for six days to uh five six days to follow was what created the gay liberation movement so it's like yeah she's totally the mother or one of the mothers uh one of the 
uh, foreparents of the gay liberation movement as as it's like kind of formally called. Yeah, for sure. She was a she was a very kick ass kick ass lady. And what one of the things I learned this is one of those things I didn't know that I learned doing research for this episode was the P like this was her chosen <laughs> name. The P stands for uh, pay no mind specifically when people like ask her about her gender. Yes. Um, which I thought was just such a that's such a nice little little kick out that's like the cherry on top to the whole badass cake that was this <laughs> awesome trans woman. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, there's a lot of people who were regulars at Stonewall who participated in this. I encourage you to do your um to do some research into all of them because they're all great, but I mean you can't really talk about Stonewall without at least name dropping Marsha once. She's she's a very important person in uh, LGBTQ plus history, for sure. Right, one hundred percent. So all of that happened. Uh, this riot happened for five days, and now we're getting into kind of the post Stonewall period, as I call it. Um, so, like I said, Pride didn't start at Stonewall, but like from a historical equivalence, this was the powder keg. This was the spark that lit everything underneath it and everything kind of blew up and everything changed after that. And many of the organizations that fight for LGBTQ plus rights today that we know of, like that are still operating, Gay Liberation Front, the Human Rights Campaign, GLAD, they were all formed out of this specific riot. A lot of those people who were there or were tangentially related started these organizations as basically a way to formalize this movement being like enough is enough how can we create specific like systemic action based on Mm -hmm. based on this on the one year anniversary of the riots thousands of people marched through new york city and this is considered to be the first ever pride parade in u.s history yeah which i really like i really like the idea that it was not like pride today is great but it's a much different event than it was back then it's a very formalized very (laughs) you guys can't see it but amari just made a face Um, (laughs) we're we're using video chat and yeah he just a very like uh yeah obviously kind of face (laughs) yeah big change big change like there's corporate sponsors now which i don't want to get into that that's not necessarily a bad thing but let's just say it is very different from what it was. So the whole idea that the first Pride Parade was kind of this spontaneous thing based on the anniversary of Stonewall is really just very cool to me. Um, mm-hmm. The main slogan that I could find was, say it loud, say it proud, was the main thing mm-hmm. that was chanted at that, which is really, really awesome. So, and I guess the whole point on this I want to emphasize is that the Pride Movement, as we know it today, was started by young people, and specifically young New Yorkers in New York City, who, well, I mean, obviously it's a mix of ages, but like primarily a lot of young um, LGBTQ people who stood up to their oppressors and said enough is enough. And I just find that extremely cool that we get to kind of claim that heritage as both LGBTQ plus people and as New Yorkers. Um, I just find that very, very awesome. Yeah, and to be like more specific, like there were obviously... Hundreds of people there. Well, I don't know the number. I'm exaggerating, maybe exaggerating when I say 100. It could have been more, it could have been less. But um, yeah, it was definitely a thing that was championed by black and brown, like trans people, as they call themselves, butch lesbians. Mm-hmm. 
and femmes who really stood and created a space for that change to happen that night, that morning. And that's important, too, to tell. Like, when we're talking about this history that we get to claim, there's so much diverseness that was able to be there for it to be a, a, a change-worthy movement. Yeah, absolutely. This was a... This was a... a, 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 a mm-hmm, words. A mm-hmm. diversity-fueled movement from the ground up and stemming into... How, how it is today absolutely um, and then I think that's something to take an, an immense level of pride in I mean right <laughs> I, I literally didn't mean that like I said <laughs> it out loud and it sounds very intentional but I, just, I that didn't even occur to me until you made the drum roll hiss so <laughs> genuinely did not mean that pun this will be a pun free show from now on uh, that is going to be one of our rules I will enforce strictly um, Mari doesn't look happy about that. <laughs> all puns, all the time. Uh, fine, okay. Uh, I didn't really last long on that, did I? All right. um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the Stonewall Inn itself is now a memorial and historical site uh, declared by Barack Obama, I believe in 2016. I could be wrong on that because I don't have the year listed. But And it is still an inn you can uh, visit in in Manhattan today. Um, I've never actually been inside. I have walked around. That is something I intend to do when we are allowed in places like that again. Yeah, actually, so um, I maybe I'll share it. Ooh, I semi-don't like taking pictures. But I, I had, we had a training in New York City sometime last summer. And um, I had like a little bit of time before, like in between the end of the training and getting on the train back to Albany um, and really spent some intentional time to like leave all my coworkers and um, go to Stonewall and just to pay homage, pay respect and feel the energy there. Um, Because, and I guess this kind of goes into like really what pride means to me. Um, growing up, Pride was not super accessible to me. Like, my friends would go to Pride in New York City uh, when we were in high school. Their parents would let them go, and that was not something that I could do. I would just admire from afar and look at their MySpace page later. <laughs> because Whoa, MySpace, my, oh, wow. yeah, that, that, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh-huh. That, that gives Dating a, it. That gives a really good... <laughs> glimpse into the time period we're talking about yes a so, good it's, it's like quality image line. oh it's like that star wars line it's just like that's not a name i've heard in a long time <laughs> basically <laughs> and so when i did think about pride then when i was like in high school it was more so like a place where i could just go and have fun and be free without really thinking about what or who made this space accessible to anybody. Um, It wasn't a thought of like, well, who was the first person? When was the first pride? That was never a thought to me. It was just like, there's a place over there beyond the, you know, shadowy place over there. (laughs) The pride place. (laughs) You know, and I was trying to go to the pride place. Um, And then I did go, like the last official time I went was like in 2016, But even then, in 2016, I didn't have the knowledge about Stonewall. I didn't know about it. Nobody taught me about it. Um, It was not not something that any of my queer, lesbian, gay friends brought back from Pride. Um, And when I learned about it, and when I learned of Marsha P., 
which I don't know. I just think about her as like an ancestor of me, even though I never met her. She ain't really related to me. Um, but like thinking of all the people who really paved the way for us to have that space and have the amount of limited freedoms, that's what I'll say it as, um, that we do have. Because um, like it could always be more, it could always be better. I just am so appreciative. So I made intentional time to go to Stonewall and go inside, order a drink, get the vibes. Um, and I took a picture outside. And like, to my surprise, like, I want to say a couple of years prior, I think it was actually at that 2016 Pride, I was outside of Stonewall. And I didn't even know it. Like, mm. we were out, we were having a good time, running to like friends from college, everything's great, positive vibes everywhere. And it's like a specific block that's super distinguishable from somehow from every other block in New York City. And, well, most um, of it is on a grid. And if I recall correctly, it does kind of have like a angled shape. Yes. I mean, I'm no, I'm not a well, city planner or geography expert or architecture, whatever the word is. But yeah, I, I know I know what you mean. It, it has like a distinct layout feel to yeah. it as opposed to the rest of Manhattan, which is mostly literally a grid. Right, yeah, it's like a six or seven point corner, um, so it's like, yeah, something that's you could like, say, oh, yeah. You could say that it is not straight. <laughs> All right, now now we've got Zach in on the pun, so it's only going to go downhill from yeah, here. It's not, it's not going <laughs> to get better, so if, that's like, if that joke made you roll your eyes out of your skull, like you might want to That's just, what we wanted. Yeah that's, yeah, that's our goal, actually. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I did make like time to go to Stonewall. Um, and I guess like, yeah, when I think about what pride means, it's just the availability to be seen and not just seen in like a catty, like, oh yeah, the queers, um, like type of way. The queers, they're here. (laughs) Let me get their chassel of drink. Um, <laughs> like, no, it's it's like to be like authentically seen in all of my intersecting identities and for them to feel validated, but not just not just like be validated, but like feel validated and honored in the way that people speak to me um, in the pronouns that they use and um, the way they reference other areas of typically you know, heteroconformative life that they may change um, over time and learning about, like, the way that other people may live. I don't know if that even makes sense, but I hope it does. I think it does. Um, Yeah, so I think about pride being... um, Pride is a sense of pride that I can take back with me. It's not just a parade. It doesn't just happen in... It's not just visible in June. It's not just visible for these corporations that sometimes do actually give back to the LGBTQ community. It's a pride that I can take in myself, that I can bring back to my community, that I can bring back to my family, my friends, um, that I can really just shine as the person I am. That was very eloquently put. Well, thank you. I didn't write it at all. (laughs) That was all improv. Um, so yeah, and we'll probably get way more into that in the next part. So um, 
We're uh, probably going to take a quick break to tell you some stuff about uh, what Families Together is doing that you might get involved with. But before we do that, um, just uh, if you're at all interested in Pride history, the history of LGBT plus um, people in America, there's a few things I wanted to suggest. Um, uh, and a lot of this is where I got my information from. The uh, CBS has a long-form article online called A History of Gay Rights in America. The History.com article in the Stonewall Riots, they're the same people who do like the History Channel. That was uh, very helpful. Um, there's a book entitled The Gay Revolution, The Story of Struggle by Lillian Faderman. I have not read it. It is on my to-do list. I'm trying to get... I used to read a lot more when I was younger, and I'm trying to make myself read a, a little more nowadays, especially since we have a lot more free time, so... That's yeah. on my to-do list, and I suggest you uh, put it on yours as well if you're you're a, you're a big reader. Um, but yeah, there's uh, some suggested further reading if you're interested in some of the details that we weren't necessarily ready to cover here. Cool. Awesome. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll delve deeper into what pride means to us. Hello. Thank you so much for listening. We would like to quickly tell you a few things about what Families Together in New York State is doing that you might be able to take part in. During the COVID-19 pandemic, advocacy has become more important than ever. Visit our website at ftnys.org to view our digital advocacy center to learn more about how you can get involved with foster care, children's behavioral health, educational justice, and justice system involved youth advocacy. These are all issues that disproportionately affect LGBTQ plus youth in New York. Our Digital Advocacy Center gives you all the tools you need to fight for change on these issues, while still practicing social distancing and being safe during this unprecedented time. Later this year, we will be holding virtual youth leadership forums. These forums are for young people to speak up, build skills, and prepare to take on leadership roles. This peer-run forum brings opportunities to youth and gives the next generation of leaders the tools and supports they need for success. To address health and safety concerns, we have decided to hold these forums virtually. The specific dates, times, and application process are not yet announced. Stay tuned and visit our website at ftnys.org for more information. We are accepting applications for the Youth Power Leadership Council. You can create systems change and bring youth voice to the highest level of government. As part of the YP Council, you would oversee the work our network does to amplify youth voice while gaining skills and experience. Apply today at bit.ly slash YPNC survey. That is bit.ly slash capital YPN lowercase c uppercase s lowercase u-r-v-e-y lastly be sure to follow us on all social media we are on facebook at facebook.com backslash families together n-y-s and facebook.com backslash youthpower.ny we are also on twitter at ftnys and at Youth Power NY. We're also on Instagram at Youth Power NY. If you want to send either Amari or I an email about the podcast or about Youth Power of Families Together, you can shoot us a message at zkilmer at ftnys.org or iwilson at ftnys.org. Let's, Let's get, get back, back to, to the, the show. show. 
And welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that roughly two to three minute uh, section of uh, company-wide self-promotion. Nice, nice, nice. We're here. At the very least, we're not trying to sell you, like, Audible. Like, every other (laughs) podcast you listen to has tried to get you to get Audible at least once. I can, with almost pure certainty, guarantee we will never do that. So, there's something. Yeah, I don't see that. That sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, we have to talk to someone at Amazon. We'll have to get, get our stuff approved. That, ugh, yeah, no, no, thank you. Is it Jeff? Are we? Are, will we talk directly to Jeff? I hope so. <laughs> I'm sure we're important enough to be on his radar, so I really don't see why not. Then I might be interested. I just might be interested. <laughs> if if you, if you get an audible <laughs> break in the next like year, it's we'll because see what we personally talk to Jeff Bezos. That's why. <laughs> So, yeah, in this uh, second portion, we're going to talk... So we talked a lot about the history of Pride, and we'll still probably stem into that a little bit because you can't really disconnect one from the other. But we're going to talk about what Pride kind of personally means uh, means to us, like on a, well, personal level. That was a really articulate way of putting that. Personally, on this personal level, I personally think this. <laughs> well, personally, I think that's great. Excellent. End of podcast. <laughs> so yeah, um, I feel I feel like I did a lot of talking in the first half. So I'll I'll and you kind of dipped into what pride means to you personally a little bit towards the end there. But um, I want I wanted to leave it open to you, Amari, to kind of talk about like what the pride movement means like specifically to you as an LGBTQ plus identifying person. Cool, cool, cool. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah. So like this podcast kind of came to life through doing a small segment on Pride last year, me and Zach, and um, where we spoke about, ooh, what did we, we spoke, it was a year ago, we spoke about some stuff. We, we, um, we, I think we actually kind of did a less elaborate version of this, where we talked about, like, we didn't talk about the history as much, but we talked about yeah. what Pride meant to us personally. Our policy director, Brad, um, asked us some questions as LGBTQ plus identifying staff members for families together about uh, what Pride meant to us personally, which was the catalyst and basically inspired the whole idea for this podcast. We'll probably link to that at some point. The, the YouTube it's up on the Families Together YouTube channel. It's basically the prototype version of this. But yeah, it exists. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and like so that's what I think about is you know who am I to even, like, take pride in pride? Because now we're just full of puns. Um, And so a little about myself is, you know, I am, you know, born and raised in upstate New York. I am a Jamaican-American first-generation kid and, like, use the kid in a liberal sense as in a person. Um, and I identify as a trans person, a trans queer person. Those are my identities. It wasn't always that. It's evolved. It'll probably evolve from there. Growing up, I didn't have, I didn't live with a, a LGBT affirming parent. Um, and it, like coming from having older siblings, being the youngest and having older siblings in the community, um, seeing how they were treated, kind of impacted the way I kept myself hidden in certain spaces. 
and kind of goes back to why I wasn't able to participate in a lot of Pride events um, outside of outwardly saying, I'm just an ally, which you're not just an ally. You know, allyship is, is needed, necessary, and brave too. But that's the mindset I had, you know, being late middle, high, early high school student. It wasn't until I had friends who were in the community, were allowed to be in the community in every sense of their life that I started to see what that looks like. I started to see, you know, what a sense of er, like early to mid, early 2000s non-binary looked like within upstate New York, which looks different than New York City. You were on MySpace, Smash Mouth was playing. Green Day was at the top of the charts. Oh, snap. Yes, I had Rupert Grant as, like, top five friends. Um, (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that I could message Nicki Minaj directly through MySpace because that's what you thought. But, yeah, it it totally opened my eyes to different things that could be. And like you said earlier, Zach, I used to read so much when I was younger. Like I was constantly in in the library and I would take three to four books out a week. And I found that through those stories, I was, it was typically queer stories that I was reading. No telling there. That It's always fun to think back to the glaringly obvious signs Basically, just the equivalent of a man saying, you're queer, and yelling it in your face and being like, hmm, that's weird, probably means nothing, (laughs) and then walking by. It's it's really funny to think back on those, because I think almost every LGBT person has a few of those. 100%. And, like, for me, it was always literary for me. It was, even if it wasn't outwardly spoken to all of my friends or some of my friends, it was always in the, the... literary stuff I had near me. And I like learned about all of LGBTQ rights, college grants, like scholarships and grants that you can find, and different protections around the LGBT community through reading young adult books. And I love that. And speaking of which, I want to do just a quick shout out, um, not to interrupt you, but the week we are recording this, the like just two days ago, I remember messaging you about it, the Supreme Court enacted, basically ruled that LGBTQ identifying people are protected for employment classification under the Civil Rights Act, which is a huge, awesome deal that I was quite frankly a little surprised happened given the makeup of this current Supreme Court. Not to go too deeply into that, but speaking of like protected classes and stuff, we it doesn't really have much to do with what we're specifically talking about this week, but mm-hmm. it's a... Just a, a, a little hooray I wanted to throw out there that I was extremely happy about in a year with a more than enough bad news. Yeah, yeah. And we're, we've only just made the halfway mark. For sure. But yeah, so I learned so much on what I would say as an ally, how to protect my fellow peers, things that I would take in for myself. Um, and it wasn't until that I, I saw a community here in the, the Capital District in upstate New York that I started to see where my path was within the LGBT community um, and the different ways I did bay and change in identifying. Yeah, so when I, when I was, I want to say when I was probably 
19 or 20, I went to my first Pride. Uh, I went to a super secluded college, and I don't even think they had a Pride up there. I wouldn't have went if they did. Um, and it wasn't until I came back to the area for good that I started like getting more involved in the, in the community, getting more involved with nonprofit organizations that did good work in the area it, where me and Zach are from. We, we have a like capital pride and then we have a black and Latino gay pride. Um, I've performed at pride before. Um, I've, you know, helped and volunteered and just got myself more involved um, and started to see how community starts in that sense. And I reflected on some of my peers, some of my friends who are in the community. I mean, all of my friends, we are all queer. <laughs> and uh, some, of, uh, some of it was known back in high school, some of it wasn't, and that's fine. Um, but it's amazing how, how like you kind of know like at least in my experience and it sounds like yours too like queer people even before some of them know or before some of them realize stuff about themselves and start identifying as queer will mm -hmm. naturally gravitate towards each other without even like I individually knowing which I find oh, yes. to be an interesting phenomenon it's a sense of safety I think I think it's like I know still as a like mid-20s person a later to mid-20s person who walks into professional spaces and I see somebody like I can see that somebody identifies in some of the areas that I identify I automatically without trying try and gravitate to that person um, you know I try and get to know them I try to make them feel welcome and I think that comes from a sense of like knowing that there's so much to be unsafe with when 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 your identities are seen that you know i i know i want to just i'm a carer i'm a protector i'm a you know if you're a call of duty fan i'm a scout um that is my role um and i just like try and look out for my fellow siblings and try and really embody what community work means um and that's really just you know support uh love it's caring it's growing um, all that jazziness. So I, yeah, I think about when I think about how, what pride means to me, it's just, I guess pride is a community. Pride is within me. It's outside of me. It's everywhere. Pride has been, will be, will forever be. Um, it's ancestral in, in it's ancestral. That's what I meant. And it, it will continue on well past my thoughts of my memory will be wow that's was really really well stated that's gonna be hard to follow <laughs> gotcha I, i'm gay and proud end of show <laughs> see you next month <laughs> <laughs> Bye. um no that that was really well stated and it mirrors a little bit of probably what i want to talk about so i think for me pride is best illustrated by a thought experiment i did a while ago so I used to ask this to myself and also other queer people, and a little bit of a trigger warning, this might be a little hard to hear just because for some people, just in terms of like self-deprecating and like not being sure of who you are and all that stuff, um, just a little bit of a vague trigger warning there. But I used to ask myself, like, let's say you have a thought experiment where there was a magical button. If you pressed it, you could change, let's say, your gender identity or sexuality at will. So, like, let's say I could, like, press a button and be straight. 
a few years ago, I would have probably, without hesitation, pressed that button. Just because of all of the internalized homophobia, the fear I had of the lifestyle, like, lifestyle, that's not the right word. Um, like, the life I was going to lead, the challenges I was going to face, like, it was all, and this is, I'm talking about probably when I was, like, a teenager, let's say. A lot of it was, like, extremely scary. And uh, understandably so, just because of the societal and cultural hardships that you face. Like, it's like we were saying, like, a lot has improved since the 60s. In a lot of ways, it hasn't, though. And it can be a very, very hard thing to be public about who you really are. And so a few, a few years ago, I would have concretely said that I would have pressed that button. Now, I would not even come close to touching it. And I think the difference between then and now is the people I've met along the way. Once you start associating and being friends with and being enveloped with other queer people, other people in the pride movement, you begin to actually be proud of yourself. Like, I, I think we, it's important to take a look at that word specifically, pride, being proud. Once you reach that point, you feel a lot better mentally, like spiritually, emotionally, all that stuff, because you can actually be proud of who you are. And what did that for me is being around other queer people who were, um, who were varying degrees of proud and like more farther along in their journey, I guess would be a good way to phrase it. Cause everyone's individual experience is different, but they were more self-attuned, I guess would be the great word. Mm -hmm. Like, the, here's the, like, the example I use. I think one of the most defining turning points would be 2015. It was my senior year of college, and I was actually studying abroad in Oxford University at the time. Just by pure coincidence, I was in a group, I was in a house with five people. They were all from my study abroad program, and most of them were from America. Just pure coincidence, this was not done on purpose, three out of the five people were queer-identifying. Um, so I was living in a house for the first time ever where the majority of the people I was around at any given moment were LGBTQ plus identifying people. And we went to some of Oxford's like LGBTQ plus events like they had that they had for people. And I was like surrounded by other people in like other people in England who actually live in Oxford and actually not just England, like people in Oxford from all around the world, too. Um, and the more I did that, the more comfortable in my own skin I felt basically just by proxy. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of the self-deprecation and fear comes from isolation. You, you have to always know that even if you are in this moment kind of alone, you're never completely alone because there's other people out there like you who you can eventually get in touch with who might be able to help you come to terms with who you really are. And I mean, that's obviously not everyone's experience, but that's kind of how it happened for me. So it's, a, it's what pride means to me is that in short form, before, if I had a magic button that would have turned me straight, I would have hit it. And now I would go nowhere near it. Yeah, I, that totally resonates with me. I know like at a certain time that would have definitely been a easy answer like a get out of jail free card or you know pass all goes whatever um and just to quote quote i i'm realizing that i've been air quoting and i haven't been telling y'all i'm air quoting 
Um, so right now I'm air quoting. <laughs> Uh, well, we should probably make that clear because I, I think I've done that during this conversation too, and they cannot see our face. That does not help. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all can't see me. I'm sarcastic. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, if there's like a, a, there was a way to like just like skate under the rug. I forget if that's the actual expression. I I would have. I totally would have. It would be yeah, quote quote easier. Um, or it would have felt like it would have been easier to just be like, again, quote, quote, everybody else. Um, but I think the like most liberating thing about being in the LGBT community is recognizing that there is no everybody else. Like, everybody is everybody else. Like The entire concept of normal is bogus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just it, it is speaking. bogus. Um, there are like a lot of heteronormative, like societal expectations in so many areas of life that it makes it hard to seem like they're like, it's not normal. It, well, it makes it easy to seem like being in the community is not normal. Uh, but it's not true. Like it's a, it's a societal lie <laughs> that, you know, a that an overarching amount of people are only one way or that any, any lie that can come from that, um, which, you know, I'll call it blatantly a lie, softly a mistruth, but yeah, it's normal to be authentically yourself. And that's the main point. So I'll say if I, if I did have that button and I did press it, I don't think it would fix the way I felt. And especially being a trans person, which is like, changing all types of norms for AFAB people. It's it it's Could you not... just clarify um Oh sorry. Yeah. Is? Yeah. Acronym Jargon Giraffe. Um AFAB is assigned female at birth. Got it. Um so a lot of trans people may may use AFAB or I don't know if they say AMAB uh, for assigned male at birth. Um I believe there's also assigned intersex at birth. But there are different versions of that. Mm-hmm. And not all trans people may subscribe to what they were assigned at birth as, you know, a part of their transness experience. But, you know, being a trans person, so having the opportunity to be seen as a cis person who in a heteronormative society dates in a straight seeming way, a cis straight way, it, it it it's not the same thing. It's it's it doesn't allow you the access. I mean, for some trans people, it does allow them the access to compartmentalize the experiences they had and whatever other genders they've experienced um, and whatever other identities they've had to uh, almost assimilate into a het norm life. Um, I can say for myself that all trans people aren't monoliths. Non-binary people aren't monoliths. Gay people aren't monoliths. Um, queer people aren't monoliths. Nothing in the LGBT community is necessarily all the same from one person to the other. We all have areas of uh, cohesion, overlap, and and relatability as human beings. Um, so you know, there there just is no normal. I say all that to say there is no normal. Yeah, there's no there's no one size fits all experience for literally anyone, but. In this context, yeah, LGBT people, like every single person, no matter which which of those letters they identify as, like doesn't have 
they might have similar experiences in a lot of cases, but no one has the same experience. And I would like to, I I think most people listening to this would know this, but this is just me and Amari's individual perspective and our personal relationship with the concept of pride and the movement in general. And yours might be entirely different and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Like, yeah, what we're saying isn't a monolith. This podcast isn't a monolith. I'm going to just keep going. It's not a monolith. <laughs> Almost nothing is a monolith, except for maybe li- maybe literal monolith. monoliths, like the like the statues. Like those might be the only actual monoliths. Oh, I want to get like a monolith is monolith type meme for the cover of this episode, <laughs> <laughs> or like just like have an image of a monolith that literally says yes. this is not a monolith. <laughs> That actually sounds extremely amusing. We should do that at some point. I, I really like it. <laughs> so we, we've been, uh, this has been an awesome conversation. We've been, I, w- I would like to, if you don't mind. So I know I brought up my Oxford experience. I would like to share one just to kind of almost end on like a positive, lighthearted note. I would like to share a story from my experience with that. Ooh, if you want to end on a, a like hmm, positive note, can I like just... Do you want? Name do you want to get? Do you want to get some of the less light, positive stuff done first before I do that? Kind of, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Proceed. All right. So I'll just say, Pride is an amazing experience. Pride is amazing to have within ourselves and within the LGBT community. And I think it was mentioned earlier that that there have been great strides for progressive change for our community, but it's not all in all great. So I want to just take a moment to. Uh, amplify the voices of some of the like trans women, trans black people lost in like this short period of time. Yes. Um, just to all. recognize that, you know, even though great things are still happening, uh, black trans women ex- especially are very much a, a need to be protected at all costs. Um, they are the most out of this community that are at risk of harm violence um and sadly uh murder as seen in this past month alone um so i just want to take a moment to uplift lift the name of tony mcdade a black transgender man from tallahassee florida uh dominique fells a black trans woman from philly raya milton also um no she was from ohio but black trans woman and janine thomas no janine thompson a black trans woman from Colorado all lost um, within the past two months or like past four or five weeks um, to violence uh, against them. Um, so as as much as Pride is, is great, we, we still have a lot of strides to go. We need to, well, I can't tell y'all what to do, but I think it's uh, advisory <laughs> to like look out for your fellow siblings, um, especially those who are most marginalized, which can totally be a different type of episode, not meant for today. And I just want to make that space to recognize them, recognize the victims of Pulse um, during Pride Month. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's well. move to something lighthearted. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, but, but thank you for for saying all that because it's like you said like pride is it is definitely a time to be happy it is a time for celebration and we're definitely not saying that it shouldn't be that but it is very important to recognize that we have made some very very dramatic improvements in the last 40 50 years that is demonstrably Mm -hmm. true but there is still a long way to go 
Absolutely. And it's always important to remember that pride started as a riot for a reason. Yes. Pride was a riot. Um, Yeah. So quick, lighthearted, kind of silly story to kind of leave us on a, a, a kind of positive note. So... Uh, like I said, when I was staying, in, I was studying abroad in Oxford, and just by pure coincidence, I was living in a house with five people from my program. Three out of the five were some variation of queer identifying. There was one of the one of the straight people who lived with us. I'm not going to identify which country he came from, but it was not America. And I'm going to give him a large benefit of the doubt and say that he is not. He was not as knowledgeable and understanding and hadn't been around gay people nearly as much as like other people he's from a country where it's less accepting and in the long term he actually did a very good job at like coming around on a lot of this stuff and that's important to know because he's going to kind of come across as bad in the next in the next few minutes but it's going to have a really funny payoff i promise so we were all sitting like in the kitchen one day i think and we were eating and we were just, like, discussing stuff. It was me, um, another queer man. I don't remember their exact identifications, and I don't want to get it wrong, so I'm just going to use queer as an umbrella term. And a, a, a queer um, a, a female-identifying person. So we are all sitting at the table talking about stuff. And I don't remember exact... And this, the, the straight dude from the other country was also in the room, maybe doing something else. So I would like to say that the three of... Between the three of us, it's not... It was not hidden that we were some sort of queer identifying, right? Like, it wasn't... I'm not saying... I'm not going to say it was very obvious, but it was not quite subtle. That's important. (laughs) So, we were discussing it, and I was discussing something that revealed my identity as a gay man. So, this dude, the straight dude, turns around in the kitchen. He's like, wait, you're gay? And we just all looked at him, and it's like, oh... You uh, didn't know? <laughs> yeah, you like, yeah, yeah, man, man. He's like, whoa. I like, it was le- It was not a very hateful reaction. It was more out of pure shock. So I want to, mm-hmm. again, giving him kind of a pretty lengthy benefit of the doubt. Like, yeah, I'm gay. He's like, whoa, I've like never met a gay person before. Like, it almost felt like I was like a unicorn or like a Yeti more so mm-hmm. than like someone he was afraid of. So this only goes downhill from here. So Beautiful. the next Love person, already. next person, uh, uh, the the man, the the other like the the two, the second person out of the three, he was like, you know, I'm gay too, right? So this like broke his brain, the straight dude's brain. Like he was like, both of you? Wait, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, we're both gay, and he was like, what? Really? Both? Like both of you? Like yeah, man. And then then the woman. She was a lesbian, I think. And she was like, you know, I'm gay too, right? <laughs> we rocked this dude's world. Like, I could watch just his entire person. Suddenly, he was in a house where he was the minority. And I think mm-hmm. that might be the first time that's ever happened. He literally had to take a walk around the block for like 30 <laughs> minutes to process this groundbreaking revelation that we bestowed upon him and (laughs) like maybe low-key i was a little offended but honest to god when he took that walk i was laughing 
harder than I think I had had in my entire life. Just just by the act of being gay and sitting at my kitchen table, I think I caused some sort of mental, cultural worldview shift in this dude's yeah. brain. And it was like yeah, the most powerful I've ever packing. felt for doing basically nothing other than being gay and existing. And it was yeah. just extremely funny. We were all dying and it became a running joke like forever for the entire time we were there for that semester and to give this dude credit like he opened up a lot more and i think that not just to tell a really amusing story but i think this illustrates how like being around gay people makes you being around lgbt people makes you more open to like lgbt people being like just cool and chill and normal because he got a lot more comfortable around us and comfortable with a lot of those ideas and that's uh and that in a way is what pride does for like um non-identifying people and potential allies in addition to just shattering their entire worldview and it being very funny (laughs) like this kid just went from as a meme like what? <laughs> like just this kid just all of a sudden internally he's like I am surrounded by the gays but it's like in, sure in, in was... a moment's glance I'm sure he was like this this is the gay agenda <laughs> I, I've seen it happen <laughs> I, I, I watched the gay ag- agenda unravel before my very eyes <laughs> and like I said to his credit he got like a lot more open minded over time and mm-hmm. over like it, it's one of those nice interactions where like Maybe it was rooted a little bit in ignorance, but it was mostly not like that and just generally very funny. Mm-hmm. So that's, and I think that's a good book note, uh, end note on here, because that kind of shows what Pride can do for non-LGBT people, too. Yep. Make them more open and, because you like, we're, we're, we're cool. LGBT people are just cool. That's, that's an objective scientific fact. And the more you're around us, you're like more. Wow. That is the cool. monolith, yes. That is the that monolith. That part. <laughs> That's, okay, literal monoliths and that. Those are the only two monoliths. Yes. I like it. Well, I hope that folks really enjoyed, um, and even if you didn't, you got to this point, so you listened to us babble for a period of time. Um, so we appreciate like all of you listening. Um, hope that y'all listen to our next podcast, which should be sometime next month. It's mm-hmm. going to be a monthly schedule. Um, I'm not sure if we made that clear in any of the promotional stuff. It's going to be once a month and it's going to be very roughly towards the end of the month is when the schedule is probably going to release. Cause it largely depends on how busy, uh, Amari and Zach are, which depending on the month yeah. could vary wildly. So no yes being as non-committal as basically humanly possible (laughs) (laughs) as non-committal as um authentically living a queer life as possible yes that is that is the commitment and the non-commitment all in one you you get you get both (laughs) so yeah um thank you for listening um like we said in the break feel free to shoot us an email um if you have any uh, thoughts opinions suggestions uh, about the show yeah Hashtag free to be. Hashtag free to be. Hashtag pride 2020. Yeah. I'm Zach. And I'm Amari. And we We are are free free to be. be.